a lot of people don't understand that just because you invoke the SCRA does not mean that everything is completely frozen. So we still have to deal with possession of the child. You're listening to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast, your source for the latest news and trends in family law in the state of Texas. Now here's your host, Attorney Holly Draper. Today, we're excited to welcome Thomas Just to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast. Thomas is an attorney at Bustos Family Law in Austin, Texas. His practice focuses on high-conflict divorce and military family law. After September 11th, Thomas enlisted in the United States Air Force and served as a network intelligence analyst with a specialization in National Security Agency Cyber Warfare Operations. He later went on to complete his undergrad studies at the University of Texas in philosophy and government, and he obtained his JD from Seattle University School of Law. With his military background, he stayed in tune with military issues by sitting on the Austin City Council's Veterans Commission and lobbying Congress for veteran legislation. In his free time, Thomas plays chess competitively and is working towards achieving the rank and title of Five Master. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I joined the Air Force right out of high school uh, and spent my formative years uh, in the Air Force. And I specialized in intelligence and uh, started out as a basic intelligence analyst, mostly working for the NSA. And then later I specialized in cyber warfare operations. But, you know, even after I got out and went and did my you know, undergraduate studies and then law school on the GI Bill, uh, I stayed heavily in contact with, you know, the veteran community uh, and, you know, veteran causes and legislation and lobbying. Uh, and, you know, a lot of sort of work within the you know, military community uh, for, you know, creating access to justice and, uh, you know, legal, free legal work for for veterans. Uh, and so, you know, even as I've, you know, sort of gone into family law and done a lot of that, um, still on the side, I, I, I do a lot of uh, work for military veterans uh, outside of family law. Somehow you found your way to family law. How would you describe your current practice? So uh, most of my work today is uh, sort of highly complex litigation and high conflict. Um, I don't really typically like sort of the simple cases. Uh, I get bored. So I, I tend to you know, gravitate towards big and messy uh, and I have a, quite a few, you know, active duty military clients, uh, as well as spouses uh, of, you know, active duty ser- service members, as well as, you know, veterans. So, you know, I, I really enjoy sort of, you know, uh, catering to that, that you know, particular community. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is are the military family law issues. I think most family lawyers that do not have a military background are terrified of this area if they know enough that they should be terrified or just completely oblivious to the fact that there are unique issues when we are dealing with service members or veterans that we need to keep in mind in our family law cases. So today we're going to kind of chat about those issues, see if we can uh, help family lawyers get some level of understanding and maybe also understand when they need to be sending these military folks to a an expert. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the first thing is that what makes it most difficult for a lot of family lawyers when it comes to, you know, dealing with particularly uh, active duty service members is they don't know what they don't know. And there are all sorts of pitfalls uh, that a normal family lawyer would would look at a particular issue and think that it was innocuous and not realize that you're walking down a very dangerous path uh, with a you know active duty service member. So for example, you never want to go down the adultery pathway it, uh, you know, unless you're you've really thought it through, because you know, if you accuse a service member of adultery, uh, you need to realize that that is a crime uh, under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and they can and they will be prosecuted for it. So, you know, you oftentimes in court need to sh- shut that down. Uh, any questioning, you know, going into those waters. So, you know, that's just a, that's just a you know a, a small example of you know a lot of different issues that you need to be aware of. That you know most of us doing sort of normal family law cases wouldn't think much about. So, you know, that that's one particular example. But you know, in addition to that, you know, you have quite a bit of federal laws that come into play here. And you need to be aware of those. So, for example, there's the Service Members Civil Relief Act, uh, which you know has a lot to do with you know what happens when a service member gets deployed and there's a there's an active case going on. Uh, so, you know, it's, if you don't understand what to do in that situation and how to invoke the SCRA, that's one of the easiest ways to catch a grievance. Uh, and so, you know, the first thing that you need to do is sort of, you know, go through that, read through that and understand, OK, I need to invoke the SCRA, which means I have to go through all the steps to essentially freeze the case. Uh, and there's all these steps that you have to go through, including providing the court with you know, the, the deployment orders, a statement from their commander that they're, you know, unable to participate in the case. Uh, now, normally, you know, the statute says it's supposed to be six months, um, you know, and you're supposed to come back for, um, you know, a renewal of that or an extension. A lot of judges will give you more than that if you ask for it, because no, most deployments are not going to be, you know, 60 days most deployments are going to be six months. So at a minimum, but those are, those are things that, you know, happen, but also, you know, a lot of people don't understand that just because you invoke the SCRA does not mean that everything is completely frozen. So we still have to deal with possession of the child. So what happens when the SCRA is invoked? Well, the court still needs to decide who's who's going to possess the child who has rights to possess the child and that gets especially sticky if you know maybe maybe the other parent doesn't have complete possession or is not a fit parent then you have you know potential other family members or you have cps involved and so you you have to still have those hearings even though the service member is deployed 
And so, you know, that all gets very tricky and you need to make sure that you're still complying with the SCRA in those contexts. So there's all these different issues that you need to be aware of. And, and, the, and the other thing is, is that outside of that, you know, you have the military pension, right? And so you have a whole extra set of laws there. And I think we'll, we'll get to that later on. But, you know, for another example is you have a series of administrative issues within the Department of Defense that most family law lawyers are simply not used to dealing with. And it's a whole different set of documents that that most family lawyers are not used to reading, let alone knowing what they are. Uh, things like, you know, an LES, a leave and earning statement. And you need to you need to know how to read that. Um, because that's going to tell you a lot. Uh, it's going to tell you what their what their rank is, what their pay is, and there's all sorts of different kinds of pay, right? So you need to know what you know what a base pay is, what a BAH is, which is base allowance for housing, what a BAS is, base allowance for subsistence, and while we're on BAH and BAS. One of the other things you need to know is there are quite a few fraudulent marriages based on BAH. So what happens is, is that there are a lot of young, lower ranked individuals who, when you're at, when you're at that rank, you're required to live on base, which means you don't get BAH or BAS. So what a lot of them, what sometimes happens is they will decide to get married simply for the BAH and BAS. They're not actually agreeing to, it's not a real marriage. And so they will they will get married and they will move off base simply for the BAH and BAS, but they're dating other people. Uh, or it's, you know, or maybe they're not even dating other people, but it's in any case, it's not a real marriage. And if the military finds that out, that can and will be prosecuted. Uh, so that's another issue that you need to be aware of. So, you know, kind of backing up to the beginning, when somebody, potential new client, walks into our office, and we are aware that there, there is an active duty military party. I know that there are unique venue issues when you have a military party. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So you're going to you're going to have some issues there. Um, oftentimes there leads to uh Interstate venue fights. So there was recently a case from last year where a Texas district court and a court in Colorado both claimed jurisdiction over the child. And, you know, both cases were proceeding simultaneously and they were both issuing contradictory orders. Uh, and so, you know, the, the issue becomes how do you sort of establish, uh, you know, domicile, because it gets really tricky with, you know, military members being on, you know, temporary duty assignments, or, you know, being on permanent change of station, because what happens is, is that typically, you know, military members get what are called PCS orders or permanent change of station orders. Depending on their job and branch, typically every either two years or four years, depending. 
And so, you know, they get those, but even then they don't necessarily change their residency in that case. Their residency is that they will maintain their residency sometimes in their original home state where they, where they joined from sometimes. But the analysis gets tricky because the child's here for that long. And so you can sometimes, you know, argue to the court that the court should take jurisdiction because the the child's been here for a number of years in that case. But also what happens when, you know, if maybe it's not a PCS analysis, what if, you know, the, the service member here is on TDY orders, right? And so TDY orders are temporary duty assignment orders. And so in that case, you can have orders that are, you know, sometimes quite long, you know, maybe, maybe six months, maybe, maybe eight months, maybe a year, right? You can have those, those kinds of orders. Uh, they're, they're now the permanent base is somewhere outside of Texas, but their TDY orders are here in Texas somewhere. You can, you can have an analysis there that says, well, hey, you meet the six month and 90 day rule. Uh, so, you know, we, we should be able to claim jurisdiction. And so you're you're gonna have a lot of you know those venue issues. And 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 not only that, you're gonna have those venue issues also pop up when it comes to the pension as well, because there are issues when it comes to uh uniform services former spouse protection act, uh, where that act outlines that uh, in order for uh, the state to exercise, you know, jurisdiction, uh, you know, a couple things have to be true. You know, wh- oh, at least one of the, the following has to be true. Either the state is the service member's domicile or the service member consents or the service member resides there for reasons other than military assignment. There are, you know, you can obviously try to, you know, argue, make make arguments as to, you know, why any of those are true, but those are roadblocks that the service member can put up as to why the state can't exercise jurisdiction over the military pension division. So those are those are issues that you need to be aware of. So we mentioned a couple of times about military pensions. Um, kind of backing up to get to the beginning on that topic, what makes a military pension different than anybody else out there who's got a retirement account or who's got, you know, teacher retirement or TMRS or any of those things? Yeah. So in, in 1981, there was a Supreme Court decision uh, called McCarty v. McCarty that said that uh, military pensions were not uh, divisible at all. And then along came uh, the Uniform Service, Services Former Spouses Protection Act, that, which was passed in 1983. And it said, no, the, the, they're, they're divisible, but with all these caveats. And it put all these different rules in place for how you can divide them and all these different protections and, you know, rules. So, you know, we can go through some of those. And the first thing that you're going to have to to realize is there are multiple different formulas depending on the service member's situation 
on how you calculate what their pension, military pension is going to be. So in some situations, you're going to use what's called the final pay analysis. And so, you know, that that has to do with sort of, you know, their last, you know, at the very end, what, what was their final final pay, their final time and grade, final base pay, uh, you know, you know, you're going to go with that. Uh, then there's the what we call the high three. And that's the last, you know, three paychecks. And we we base it off of that. And there's and there's even within those, there are different caveats and different ways that you have to sort of calculate in other things based on bonuses and you know other other subsidies that you do or don't get to count. And then for reservists, it's a completely different analysis. It's they use a very special point system. Uh, that has nothing to do with the way you calculate it for an active, actual active duty service member. And then there's the Redux system, which is a whole different system for calculating it. And so you need to you know, be able to go look up these calculations. They're, they're fairly complex and you need to be able to run through and how, how to you know, understand you know, how to read the service members, you know, LES, uh, and and apply it through those calculations. And then, you know, the other thing is, is that recently Congress just passed, you know, a new a new rule through the 2017 uh, National Defense Authorization Act that said we're moving to blended retirement system, uh, which allows for all sorts of uh, advances on your retirement. It also forces the service member to start paying into the, what's called the thrift savings plan, which is is a normal sort of think of it as almost kind of like a f- normal contribution plan, and and there's matching, but the service member can can opt out of it, but the next year they're going to be automatically re-enrolled. And so, but how those deductions come out affects what they're going to ultimately get. And there's different levels that you can take out. And so that complicates things. So, so, you know, that's another rule. And then there's the 1010 rule, uh, which says that if the spouse has been married for more than 10 years during the 10 years of, of military service, then uh, DFAS, which stands for the Defense fin- uh, Financial Accounting Services, they will make the payments from the pension directly to the spouse. Okay, once once everything is divided up. But if they've been married for less than the ten years, then they won't. And so you have to come up with other ways in the order to make sure that the service member then makes the payments directly to the spouse. Uh, so, so you can't do a typical quadro that's going to divide the pension and make those payments go anywhere, but through the ex-spouse. In that case, yes. So, you know, so in some cases you're going to be able to get it to go through, you know, DFAS. In other cases, it's going to have to go through the service member. 
This episode of the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm, providing family law litigation in Collin, Denton, and Dallas counties and appeals across Texas. The Draper Firm has represented parents in cases before multiple courts of appeals and prevailed in the Texas Supreme Court in one of the biggest parental rights cases in Texas history. For more information, visit draperfirm.com or call 469-715-6801. So that's definitely something to keep in mind where if you don't trust that person to pay you, maybe you don't want part of the pension and you want something else in exchange. Right. Uh, and so, and then, and then there's, there's disability benefits, right? So disability benefits are not actually divisible. So now there's, there's some caveats to that, which is the court has, you know, in a, in a case called, how v. how the Supreme Court said, okay, even though these aren't divisible, right? Even if later that gets reduced for some reason for the veteran, that does not relieve the veteran from paying whatever it was from the rest of the the division to the spouse. So, but those aren't divisible. The other one is this, this is the really controversial one. People get upset about it, but it's there called the frozen benefit rule. And this was all, you know, so the way this works is when you calculate the value of the pension, you do it uh, as the time and grade and rank and the value of the pension at the time that the divorce occurs. So it's not an, it's not an if, as, and when analysis. It is a, if they were to retire today, uh, so you don't get any extra additional benefits. Uh, and so that can get, that can get difficult because, you know, what happened? So for some, for some folks, they're not going to be eligible for retirement at the time. And so, you know, that gets, that gets tricky. So for example, if you're an E4, Right. Uh, this is the enlisted rank E4, right? You know, your your time in service, your your rank, and all the rest of it, your base pay, that if they were to retire at that point, that that pension is gonna be tiny. So, you know, they may stay in for 20 years. And by the way, that's the other thing about military pensions and retirement, people should know service members are eligible to retire at 20 years and so it's that's really early so um typically the way it works is and this is a good thing for people to realize and this happens a lot in mediation you should real keep this in mind typically if a service member goes past 10 years you can bet good money that they're going to go the full 20 because it's really really dumb to go past 10 and then not go to the full 20. So what you'll what you'll see a lot of times in mediation is the service member will try to play tricks and say, oh yeah, like I'm I'm not actually going to retire. Right. And so they they'll try to keep the their military pension out of it. That's nonsense. They're going to the full 20 uh, if they've been <laughs> in the past 10 years. So like no. And if they uh, don't make it to the full 20, they get $0 from that pension. Correct. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. But 
The other one is the survivor benefit plan uh, that you need to be aware of, which is the way this works is obviously if you know if the service member were to predecease the you know the spouse uh, or former spouse, uh, then you know it's it's a, you know annuity basically. Um, and that's that's a benefit that's available to the service member and their families. Um, obviously, that's typically only going to be available if it's the first divorce, because typically it's going to already be, you know, be claimed if it's, you know, the second divorce. And you need to have claimed that within the first year. Otherwise, it's barred by statute. Within uh, the first year of the divorce? Uh, of, of the divorce, correct. Uh, so, um, but, you know, that that's another thing that you need to be aware of. So, you know, the military pensions are, you know, there's a lot of rules. And, you know, that pe- most family lawyers simply are not accustomed to dealing with. And there's just a lot of federal rules. So, you know, you need to be aware of all of these drafting issues. And, and, and by the way, these aren't all the issues. Like, you know, we could, we could sit here for days and go on <laughs> and on and on about all the problems you're going to run into. So if, you, if you're not familiar with these, like you, you need to reach out to someone who is more familiar with them and, and, and ask for some help. You know, there's, there's no shame in that. But don't if you're not familiar with this, don't try to just go it alone because you can and you will screw it up. Um, and it's it's a really easy way to catch a grievance. Are there any issues related to benefits of a former spouse that family lawyers need to be aware of? My, my understanding is that if you've been married long enough that the former spouse and or and the kids, kids probably regardless, but can be entitled to some sort of benefits within the military, TRICARE or, you know, using the, the store on the base. Yeah, or... yeah the, the, the commissary, yes. the PX and the PX. Yeah, yeah, there are some of those. Um, and so, you know, particularly TRICARE, for example, you know, obviously it depends on whether or not that service member is going to continue to be covered by TRICARE. So for example, obviously if the service member, you know, remains active, he's automatically going to be able to have his dependents covered. Obviously once the divorce goes through, the spouse is no longer going to be considered a dependent, um, but the, but the children will. And so, you can you can have that be done, and also you know the Tricare you know is not the easiest thing to deal with, as many <laughs> veterans will tell you. Uh, so you know just just keep that in mind. So and then you know there are some there are some on on base privileges that you can you can also work out, and so that is something to keep in mind as well. And as in addition to that, there are also certain. Um, on-base programs for uh, daycare. So also keep that in mind as well. Uh, those are those are benefits that are available as well. So another issue I see come up uh, is relating to calculation of child support when we're dealing with military pay or when we're dealing with military disability. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So... 
the the first thing to know is that each branch has their own minimum uh, standards for child support, but they are all abysmally low, ridiculously low. And you can you can go and and look these up in their you know individual uh, records or, or statutes rather. So for the Air Force, uh, what you're going to want to look at is uh, AFI 36-2906, and P5800.16A15001. Uh, and just to give you an idea, you know, for for one child, you know, you're you're looking at you know. $350 or, you know, one half of BAH or OHA. So that comes, you know, that's not very much money. That's, that's a tiny amount of money. So how does that compare then, or how does that fit in with our Texas child support calculations? Right. So that is, that's something that I'm saying you can't rely on that. That is just because the military has those minimum standards you can't simply rely on the military branches to give you the ch- make sure that the child support is being taken care of. You need to directly go and bring that, you know, to to the Texas courts. Now, this comes back to understanding how to read an LES statement. So it's 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 called a leave and earning statement, and every military member gets these for every paycheck. Every paycheck that there's an LES that's issued, and they, they can they can go online to their account and they can download that LES, and they they all have access to them. So if they ever tell you that they don't have access to them, that's nonsense. <laughs> uh, so what you're gonna what you're gonna see on there is you're gonna see their 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 base pay, and by the way. If you know their their rank and their time and grade and their years of service, you can actually go online and you'll see you can find pay charts and you'll be able to see on the pay chart exactly what their what their base pay should be. So and you know, but you'll see that on the LES what their base pay is. Uh, and so you know, make sure that you you see that. And then in addition, you're going to see base allowance for housing. You're going to see, you know, likely see BAS, face allowance for subsistence, that's for food. Um, and then you know, you're going to see other forms of pay too, you know, COLA, which is cost of living adjustment. Uh, you're going to see, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, deployment pay or, I mean, there's a, there's a million different kinds of different kinds of pay and you can go online and you can look all of these up. They're all there. And so, but what you need to be aware of is not all of these kinds of pay are going to be consistent. Some of them are just sort of one-offs. Some of them are just very temporary uh, for while they're on this particular assignment. And so you need to know the difference. The most consistent ones that you're going to see, that are going to be there consistently are things like base pay is always going to be there. And typically, BAH, BAH and BAS, once they're there, are going to stay. 
And Feb Cola, more often than not, typically that's going to stay, although that has some caveats to it. Uh, so what you're going to do is you take that and obviously you're going to do all the standard deductions uh, and you're going to you're going to calculate that based off that. Were all those various additions to base pay taxed? They are. So, well, I believe they are. I need to go back and check those. Uh, that's a good question, but I believe so. So, um, the other the other part of that is is that you what you will also see is members will often reenlist while they are deployed. Uh, because those, well, those reenlistment bonuses, if they're deployed, uh, well, when it's done, are not taxable. They're not taxed. So, you know, that's also something to be aware of. And I know there can be um, situations with certain members, of the, maybe all members of the military. Um, I know I, I had a family member that was career military, and if he spent one day per month in certain countries, his entire month's pay was not taxed. So I think there can be a lot of complicating issues in figuring out the net income when you're looking Correct. at military pay. Yeah, it depends. If they're deployed, yeah, the, 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 the taxes get changed. Now, if they're stateside, you know, those, those are going to be taxed. But, you know, that's that's another part of it. Um, and also, you know, we should, you know, after this, you know, one of the things that we should also talk about is, you know, temporary orders and, and or final orders for possession schedules uh, in the event that the member gets deployed, you know, what happens there. And so those are, that's another thing that you need to keep in mind because you need to set out additional orders for what happens in the, in the event of a deployment. Uh, and so on that piece, there's, um, you know, we have something specifically in the family code that tells us this is the one situation where you can have a non-parent essentially designated as using your time. What are some special things that attorneys should keep in mind about that? Yeah, so there's actually a really good, you can look it up on, on the American Bar uh, Association's website. And they actually came up with a great piece of model legislation for possession orders for, uh, in the case of deployed service members, uh, uh, parents. And so it, it's it's fantastic. They did a really good job. Um, but it, it, it talks about things like, you know, establishing, you know, regular, you know, communication, and uh, what you tell the children, and especially age-appropriate things about the dangers that you know mom or dad is in, and also who exactly you know the, the parents are going to be with, uh, and the, you know the schedules there, because uh, you know oftentimes you will have you know the service member is the primary, or sometimes even sometimes even the sole you know, get deployed. And so those are things that you absolutely have to think about in terms of who gets the kid when they get deployed. And so there's a there's a whole list of things that, you know, you normally wouldn't think about. Uh, and so, you know, you need to sort of pick through that. But I encourage everyone, to, if you're, if you end up with an active service member, 
you need to go look that up and and sort of pick through that. And it's a great way to, you know, just basically sort of copy and paste that and just sort of tinker with it a little bit uh, for your particular case. But it's a great jumping off point. So circling back, um, we were talking about child support a few minutes ago, and one of the pieces of that that we didn't get to related to VA disability pay. Um, I know a lot of former service members receive that, and we often see it when we're looking at child support. Can you tell us how that factors in, if at all, and what we should do if we see that in the case? Yeah, so it does factor in. Um, it, it is it is part of you know calculating child support. Um, so you you absolutely do factor it in. So um, now I will also say, weirdly. The AG, the Texas AG, has some internal policies about how they calculate certain parts of that that disability, but I don't know how well that would stand up in court if that were to ever get challenged. Uh, but per statute, all of that gets completely you know brought in for purposes of calculating child support. Uh, so, you know, that's something that you need to be aware of. AG has those internal policies, but they don't necessarily completely line up, at least in my opinion, with, with what the statute says. So you, you, you take that, uh, and the other thing that you need to be aware of is, uh, those disability payments are actually going to adjust over time. So those, you know, adjust with inflation. Um, and, and Congress sometimes steps in and increases those those payments. So, you know, and the the service member will sometimes, you know, you know, file additional claims that will increase their disability rating. And if they, you know, get an increased rating, then they'll get an increased pay. Or if they add additional dependents on, then that will also increase their their pay disability payments. So, but that, that does absolutely get included when you're calculating uh, child support payments. And so you mentioned increasing into increase of dependence increases the disability. Am I correct that if, you know, mom and dad are divorced and dad is receiving disability payments, that the portion related to the child who's living with mom goes to mom not to dad, and then therefore is going to be essentially an offset against dad's child support obligation. And that's where it gets sticky. So there's always going to be an argument about that. I would argue that that's the way it should be, but I have also seen it not go that way. But I, I think that, you know, the way you outlined it is the way it should go, but just be aware that that's going to be a fight. So we're just about out of time. I know we could probably have a lot of other issues we could dive into, but um, for today, I think we'll call it good. But one question I like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast is, if you could give one piece of advice to young family lawyers, what would it be? You know, in particular, you know, in this area, I would say absolutely, if you're going to take these cases, go reach out for, uh, you know, either help or mentor. And the other thing that I would highly recommend is that you go by uh, the Military Divorce Handbook 
that was that's put out by the ABA by Mark E. Sullivan. All right. So where can our listeners go if they want to learn more about you? Uh, you can go to uh, Busas Family Law. Uh, dot com and uh, has has a more complete bio there. Uh, and you know, if you have any other any questions or you have any you know concerns or you need help, uh, by all means, feel free to reach out to me, and and I'll be more than happy to to you know answer any questions that I that I can. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, For our listeners, if you enjoyed our podcast, take a second, leave us a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. The Texas Family Law Insiders podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm. We help people navigate divorce and child custody cases and handle family law appellate matters. For more information, visit our website at www.draperfirm.com.